Bang a bang a bang like a lesa. Bang a bang a bang like a lesa. What you want to shop up? Welcome to Sibling Revelry. My name is Andrew Merriweather. And I'm Caitlin Perlman. And we are siblings. And we're roommates. And also best friends. And also co-leaders of a cult. Mm. Yeah. New cult. New. Brand new. Brand new on the scene. New cult on the block. Yes. It's uh, it's not as sinister as, as some other cults, though. No, it's a very friendly cult, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess all cults appear friendly on the surface. Right, but we're not going to, like, I don't know, try to take all your money when you join or, like, try to marry your children yeah, very, underage. Very yeah. inclusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Centers mostly around um, body paint. Making mm-hmm. artisanal cheese. <laughs> but not glow paint. No, not glow, just We are normal. exclusive about glow paint. <laughs> That's where we draw the line. Anything else? It's yeah. a great cult, really. It, you should it totally it join is. up. <laughs> so, on the Sibling Revelry podcast, each week, one of us, either Caitlin or myself, brings in a topic that we will discuss at length. Uh, this week, it is Caitlin's turn to bring in the topic. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea what the topic is, uh, so I am going to be responding sort of off the cuff. Caitlin presumably has done maybe a little bit of thinking about it, <laughs> but there has been no research done about this topic. This is a, a totally spontaneous conversation. Um, so, Ken, are we are we ready to go into the topic? We're ready, although I think that we have to do... There's only one other thing we always have to do. Oh, of course. Our demographics. Absolutely. We speak for a different demographic every week that represents ourselves. Of course. So, Andrew, uh, what demographic are you speaking for this week? So this week I'm speaking for all philosophy majors who tore their ACL twice, not once, but twice. That is key. You one-timers, do not do not think that I'm speaking for you, who only own black pairs of socks. I don't own any... Is that really true? Yeah. Or at least I do not wear any... I don't own any white pairs of socks at the moment. Hmm. I have in the past. I feel I've like I'm jogging my memory to try to prove you wrong, and I can't. No, it's smart kind of blowing wool, my mind. Smart wool or them low hanging, <laughs> low hanging Nike socks. <laughs> nice. So, who are you speaking for this week? Um, I'm going to be speaking for all native North Carolinians who work as educators, um, who know how to make eggs in a basket, mm. um, and who have read the Bible cover to cover at some point in their life. That's impressive. I know. And I was a middle schooler, too, when I did it. I was like, you know what I'm going to do for no reason? Read the Bible just to see. And then I did. I'm going to be honest. I've never gotten through, like, never gotten through Genesis. I get, I like, get started, and then I just, like, uh, maybe I'll just go on to YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so are we ready to jump in? Yeah, let's do it. My topic is about hair. And there's a question specifically associated with hair. Um, And the question is, do we as human beings put ourselves in certain identification categories or, or, or identify ourselves in a specific way based on the way that we wear our, the hair on our heads, faces, and bodies? I mean, for sure, I think in the, I mean, it's certainly a way of establishing gender, I feel like, in a lot of ways. In a very heteronormative way, it's like, you know, it's feminine to have shaved bodies. It's feminist, it's feminine to be, in a sense, be hairless from the neck down, or at least, I mean, with Sparse, some exceptions. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, arm hair is, is generally acceptable. 
because it is like almost in, in many cases like not just not really not that noticeable. But yeah, leg hair. I mean, in terms of sh in terms of what mainstream society expects women to shave, legs and underarms are are the big ones. And is and I think it's just interesting. What I've been contemplating is how interesting it is that it seems to be you you're making more of a statement by not doing something. Like as a woman, me choosing not to shave my legs, or even more so, not to shave my underarms, is like is making a statement in a way that shaving is not making a statement. People see it as a statement. Right, leaving things the way that they are naturally are <laughs> is actually more of a statement. Exactly, that's so fascinating to me that like we're like we've mainstreamed this practice, the practice of shaving our legs and underarms so much. So you shave your your arms? I do regularly. Um, uh, every every couple two to three days, I would say. Um, but it's but I recognize it as a personal preference. It was something I started doing when I first started getting underarm hair in middle school, um, because just like shaving my legs, it was something that all every every girl I knew was doing. So I started that practice basically because of that, because I wanted to to fit in. But also, it just turned into for me this thing of like I just actually just prefer it. I find it. I find it more comfortable. I like putting on deodorant. I like putting deodorant on a clean underarm. I just find it preferable and so I do it. Well, so have you ever have you ever tried sort of just growing out like your leg hair or your armpit hair before? Um, I've certainly gone a long time without without shaving my legs. I would not say I've gone that long without shaving my underarms. Well, so then when you say it's a preference, is what you mean is just like what you're used to or is it that you actually feel like you know for a fact that like you would just not enjoy. I guess I can't. I guess I can't say that I know for a fact because I haven't stopped shaving long enough to really let it grow out in the way that if you do stop shaving your underarm hair, it really grows. But I feel confident in saying that I don't think that I would like it. I feel like I because I have thought about it because I have plenty of friends who don't shave their underarms, and so I have considered this thought of, you know, why do I do this and. Um, and would I be happier if I didn't? Would I, would I prefer it if I didn't? And thinking about it, I actually am very content with my, with my choice. The question I have sometimes about, so for, for women trying, who are in this choice, right, of like, should I shave, should I not shave? I sort of wonder if like, if there's some women, I mean, I'd be curious to know if you feel like you've encountered these women, um, who like feel like there's like kind of a moral obligation that they have as a way of protesting, right? Because like it's not about my personal preference in this circumstance. It's about undermining a practice which has you know in some way tried to keep women oppressed or like kept in like a particular mm -hmm. type of box and telling them what they have to do, um, right? And then like actively rebelling against that. I have no doubt that I went to college with a lot of those people, but I never had a conversation with anyone in which that was the, the topic. I knew, I mean, I knew a lot of people who um, did not shave any part of their body, and they were just like, "Yeah, I don't." And it was like so. It was so normal at Oberlin to to make that choice that like nobody. I don't know. I don't remember ever really having a conversation about it. Well, I think this kind of really gets at the question you had at the very start of this. I mean, the original question of like identity and body hair. You should have the freedom to choose to shave or not shave, mm -hmm. right? Like that should be your prerogative. Um, and like, it seems like your choices are something that we very much tie to our identities, right? Like mm -hmm. what I choose to do, what I choose to like, who I choose to spend my time with is part of my identity, right? But then at the same time, 
there's sort of the identity that I imagine a lot of women feel attention with, which is like the identity of a feminist. Yeah. And th this pull of like, well, it may be that I prefer um, for whatever, even just logistical reasons to shave. You know, I, I mean, I've talked like, so, you know, women that I've talked to who either prefer to shave or, or don't shave, it, it's usually like a logistical reason, which is kind of funny that it's, it's both ways. <laughs> There's sometimes they're just like, it's just easier to shave. And then other people, it's like, it's just so much easier not to shave. Right. <laughs> like whatever. Um, but it's not even about, you know, whatever personal preference you have. You have an obligation to subvert the patriarchy in some way. Right. The point, I think you get into this tricky territory. When you, as soon as you get into the, well, you're not feminist if you don't X, that's, as soon as you start to eliminate the choice, you're sort of undermining the point of feminism, which is that we do have a choice. But it is, I mean, it's, a, that's, I mean, it's, you're getting into some tricky territories. I mean, you get into sort of fundamentalist Islam or Islamic practices of wearing like, you know, the hijab and, and do, and is it, is it really a choice for that woman to do? Is the woman like actually making the choice or is there social pressure that makes her think she's making a choice, but she actually doesn't have a choice, right? Um, and I mean, we're getting we're getting into all of that when we question: Should feminists do this certain practice in order to undermine the patriarchy? I am not going to stop shaving my underarms just to prove how feminist I am. <laughs> if I'll put it that way, if if somebody told me, well, real feminists don't shave their underarms, I would say, well, real feminists don't tell other women what to do. <laughs> but if they did say, I mean, but if they, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, that's the tension, right? It's like, it feels as if, in a weird way, you're being told what to do as a woman. Right. But at the same time, like, I think their point is something along the lines of, like, yeah, but, like, the more people that refuse to bow to this expectation the more that that's going to sort of become disseminated into the culture and people will just be okay with it regardless of what mm -hmm. a woman cho chooses to do. And right. so there's a need to be a point in time in which people decide actively to like not do this so that I don't know well, so but so you don't feel like you have any obligation to to use your body I guess as a cause f fighting tool. No. I like the way my legs feel when I've just shaved them. So yeah, I'm not gonna stop. I'm not gonna stop. Um, and maybe, and, and I might change my mind. I might change my preferences at some point in my life and choose to stop shaving. Um, and then that's my choice. All right, Ken, let's take a little break from the conversation and uh, let's do a little bit of elaborated pop lyrics. Nice. I think it's time. Yeah. So, Caitlin and I love this segment. So, elaborated pop lyrics is where Caitlin and I take one of our favorite pop songs and we intellectualize it and make it way more complicated than it needs to be. Uh, so, we need to do our reveal for last time. Uh, so, the first one was Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. And then this week, uh, or last time we did the. In episode uh, two. In episode two. The uh, song that we chose was Zero to a Hundred by Drake. <laughs> <laughs> Real quack. Real quack. <laughs> <laughs> so this one I think was a lot more challenging. A lot it more was. It's, got well, it's a little bit of a throwback. A little bit Not everybody throwback. knows it necessarily. So I feel I think we sort of overcompensated with difficulty, and now hopefully this one will land a little bit more in the middle somewhere. Uh, so Ken, you want to lead us off? Yeah, with absolutely. The first one? This is our first lyric. You clearly have an argument you wish to articulate. But rather than complete said argument, you continue to emphasize points I have already grasped. Kind of seems like most of the conversations that 
You have. We have together. Uh, I was gonna say. What are you, What are you trying to say? <laughs> Here, you re- you just take it. Just read the next one. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Case in point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is lyric number two. During the daytime, you are relentless in your desire for verbal conflict. Yet, by the evening, you wish to engage in prolonged sexual intercourse. <laughs> you should be so lucky. <laughs> I think I'd take that deal. <laughs> uh, would I? I don't know. I don't it would know. Wear on a, it would it, wear on a person. It would. <laughs> All right, you would take number three? Yeah. Your physical gestures indicate a positive response to my suggestions. I suspect, however, that your true desire is to reply in the negative. Hmm. Mystery. <laughs> Mystery. Misdirection. Subtext. That's what we call that in the biz. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever biz we're in. Whatever biz it is that we're doing. <laughs> so if you think you know what song we are talking about, and even better, if you know the specific lyrics that we are referencing and intellectualizing, then please write into us. Our email is siblingrevelrypodcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at sibling underscore revelry. Uh, also, you can follow us on Instagram at the same handle. Uh, so I think I'm ready to get back to uh, talking about my hair. Yeah. My favorite topic. <laughs> Let's do it. I want to take it in a slightly different direction. I know for myself, there's a way that my hair, like on my head specifically, is a part of my identity. And the question is, so why am I making it look this particular way? What do I? What am I trying to say? about myself or the choice to not to have to cut your own hair to have your friend cut your hair uh, to not go to a a barber or a salon to get it cut so if i had to like describe my look right? i mean and it's like an <laughs> Please, embarrassing by all means it's an, describe it's a, describe your look i feel like it's an embarrassing thing to it works t- for you, talk though. about it works though, for you <laughs> is kind of like just professional enough that like i can have a job at a nonprofit right but like a little unkempt, like a little, like kind of a little wild, like a little bit like when I think about artistic people, when I think about like uh, reflective philosophical people, I have this stereotype in my mind of what that looks like, this ideal of like what I'm aiming for. And like, that's what I, and it's like Bob Dylan, right? Like <laughs> aiming for that look. That's what I'm aiming for. Yeah. And like, that's, I mean, with the Ray-Bans and the hair, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean... I will say, you using the phrase non-profit professional, non-profit professional is, like, I close my eyes and I see you. <laughs> right, because there's a kind of a casualness to it. Right. There's a casualness where you're like, I'm playing the game, but not that hard. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't think we like to talk about that a lot because I, I think it's a little embarrassing to say that you're aiming for something, that you're aiming for an unkempt look, <laughs> right? Because then there's a self-awareness about that right. that makes it uncool. Right. Well, and how can it be unkempt if you're keeping it unkempt? <laughs> like, the whole point of it being unkempt is that it's not being kempt. <laughs> yeah, but, like, it actually turns out that you have to do a little bit to keep it <laughs> properly unkempt. Yeah, and I, and I judge people about their hair all the time. Mm. Like, and, and especially, I... I, for a long time, I was just like very anti-product. I felt like I, w- I don't know what that where that came from. I think there was like something about it that was like 
um, felt very contrived. Maybe even vain. Vain. Like, yeah, the idea that you would spend time on your hair as a male. And what I judge people a lot for, and, and I don't feel good about that, but I do, is like when it looks like someone has put too much effort mm. into their hair. Ugh, this person spends so much time on yeah. that. In a sense, you, you spend a lot of effort to make something look effortless. Uh, yeah. And Which like, is what kind of what fashion is, like all in all. Is it supposed to kind of look at, like if it looks too contrived, it's, it doesn't quite work. What do you think that is? Why are we so, why is like looking as if you had to try make something uncool or unhip? It's one of those like behind closed doors, you spend a lot of time picking out your outfit, you do your makeup, you do your hair, but you go out in the world and you just look like, you like you want to look like, oh, I just always look like this. Um, and I think that there's a certain amount of discomfort in our own vanity, and our own self-obsession, and so calling attention to that maybe is something we don't like to do. There's a way that if you can tell that someone has crafted a particular outfit, hairstyle, that they're in some way masking what they really are. Mm, yeah, there's a there's an inauthenticity. Yeah, but like that's totally unfair. Well, it's I, it's <laughs> ironic because the true authentic thing to do would be to to showcase exactly how much effort you put into everything you do. Speaking from from my personal style, I mean, I really kind of. I don't even know. Like, I don't like, spend a lot of time obsessing over it or thinking a lot about it. I mean, I would say, actually, funnily enough, my hair is probably the place where I put my most effort because I have curly hair that, if it doesn't get a certain amount of treatment, looks fairly ridiculous and, and kind of gross, um, at least from my own personal perspective. Like a, rolling out of, like a rolling out of bed with my hair look, it's not like I can just brush it out and like, voila, it's normal. It's like kind of like well, weirdly lopsided and bunches up and like part of it gets really straight and part of it gets like really frizzy. So I have to wash my hair every day. I shampoo and condition it and I use two different products that help style and, and defrizz my hair. And I do that every day. And if I and I notice if I if I leave something out or if I don't do it, my hair does not look the way I want it to look. I think I'm going for approachability. I think what I want is to not to nothing that I'm wearing or doing to be distracting to what I want to accomplish. I mean, especially like I don't wear earrings when I tutor kids because some kids have ADHD and they get distracted. Um, so I'm going. For, it's almost a little bit utilitarian without being while still like being like personal hygiene oriented, right? Like just clean, clean and simple. And so I don't know, should I, I, I feel, now I'm feeling like kind of self-conscious, like <laughs> shared something that I don't usually, I haven't really shared <laughs> that like that. Is Excellent, like, I brought this out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, which is like I, that aiming for a persona, uh -huh. not consciously, I don't wake up in the morning and go like, what do I need to wear? How do I need to look in order to be this? In right? order to be Bob Dylan. In order to be Bob Dylan or like whatever, you yeah. know. But I, I would say that like sometimes those thoughts do crop up or like when I'm picking out things or when I think about people whose styles I admire. Mm -hmm. well, well, me, I don't want to make you feel self-conscious <laughs> because the truth, the truth be told, like there's a part of me that's a little bit self-conscious about not having a particular style or direction in which I orient myself just because I've like... I, because I know so many people who have great style and I, I really admire their look. On the other hand, I know it wouldn't really work for me because there is a certain level in which what you, part of, I think part of becoming an adult is also kind of discovering the way that you wear your hair, the way that you dress, um, 
how much makeup you use, uh, jewelry, other things like that, um, tattoos, those choices do start to move you in a certain style direction. And the question is, is this a style? Not just is a style that I'm comfortable with, but a style that, in a sense, um, that flatters me. So we can we can see other people's styles and admire them, but this question of what, but where, where do I find mine? Okay, it's time to take a break. I agree. Um, we are actually going to be introducing a new segment now. hey Uh I'm pretty excited about this one. It's called Does It Hold Up? Uh, it's where we take something from our childhood. It could be a movie, TV show, uh, something internet from the internet. Phenomena. Yes, mm-hmm. board game, uh, video game. And w- that's something we're nostalgic for. And we ask the question and try to answer the question, does it hold up? Yeah, because a lot of us, I think, when there's a lot of nostalgia that gets thrown around. Oh, yeah. And I think there's a question... A very serious open question if it all of it is really worth revisiting or not. Luckily for you, we're going to revisit all of it, <laughs> for better or for worse, and yeah. let you know uh, whether or not it indeed is worth taking a gander at once again. So for this week, uh, we watched the Disney Channel original movie, Brink. Brink. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was a great choice. We both watched this. We were Disney Channel kids watching, you know, we watched Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. We watched, we had a lot of different kids channels we watched, but Disney Channel was definitely up there for us. Absolutely, um, big part. And so, uh, and I think we we liked this movie for different reasons. You liked the skating. Yes, I thought skating was so cool. And didn't we all in the 90s? Rollerblading was really big. We thought for a hot second (laughs) that was going to take over the nation. (laughs) And you know why I liked it. (laughs) Well, because Eric Von Denton was a sexy, sexy Uh, 14-year-old. True confessions. As a middle schooler, I had a gigantic crush on Eric Von Denton. Um, From the moment I saw him in Leave it to Beaver... As the older brother. Those blonde locks. Uh, Yeah. Sort of sandy blonde locks. Chiseled features. Stoner vibe. (laughs) Stoner yet well kept. Yeah. Very clean. A rarity. (laughs) Um, So to give a brief synopsis of the film... Okay, so basically the movie centers around these young Southern Californian kids who rollerblade. They call themselves soul skaters. Yeah. uh, And they uh, essentially are competing with this other group called... uh, Team X-Blades. Team X-Blades. They're sponsored skaters. They do, you know, uh, sponsored events. They are on the cover of magazines. They, you know, um, they're... They have advertisers, things like that, and they get paid to skate. Um, and there's a rivalry between the two. And Brink, Andy Brinker, Brink, um, played by Eric Von, ba- played by the eminent Eric Von Detten, <laughs> uh, decides to uh, join Team X Blades in secret in order to to help his family and with their financial troubles. And then ethical dilemmas ensue. Exactly about friendship, about loyalty. About what you love to do. Mm-hmm. Selling out. Selling out. All of those topics. Integrity. So, Kaylin, does Brink hold up for you? I'm going to have to say, sadly, no. Oh, no. Um, Eric Von Den did not. Uh, well, you know, I'm a little bit over that. I'm a little bit over that. But I have two words for why. The two words are soul skating. It's rough. It is just, I mean, you know, with Disney, you expect 
a certain amount of cheese and I have a pretty high cheese tolerance, but the, the term soul skating to refer to skaters who only skate for fun, um, as opposed to sp the sponsored skaters was just on a level of cheesy that I could not handle. And they use the phrase so much, like it's just painful to watch. And you could almost see sometimes the actors, like you can almost feel them cringing when they have to say it um, because it's just so cheesy. I don't know, if you cringe every time you hear a certain phrase, which is like every 10 minutes, you just start to feel like, uh, it just takes you out of it in a way that it just ruined it for me. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> So the hotness of 14-year-old Eric London... Did not overshadow did the not lameness overshadow. of the term oh, soul man. skating. Yeah, there's no way to make that cool. So I actually... I'm going to say that this movie does hold up for me. Wow, The okay. soul skating, as much as it's cringeworthy, <laughs> did not ruin the movie for me. Partly because I think there's enough hilarity in... Especially the villain of the movie. Yeah, what's his name? Val? Val. With uh, the long hair. He's and the, so and the douchey. Yeah, the douchebag face. He just has a face of a douchebag. <laughs> that it, every time he's on screen, it I just crack up because he's so ridiculously douchey. Um, and I just think he, he really makes the film for me <laughs> with his huh. douchiness. I also love that the movie is vaguely anti-capitalist. Huh. Yeah. And like this sort of like you know, doing things explicitly for monetary gain is to be frowned upon. Yeah. Um, and that it should be about the enjoyment and the craft of the art that you're doing. That should be the Even driving. if it's rollerblading? Even if it's rollerblading. <laughs> There's a lot of tokening that goes on in this movie also. The token black guy. There's token black guy, the to token girls. sassy Latina. Yeah, token sassy. And she was the only girl, by the way. Also the only girl. And also notice that they, the two people that they injure severely are, <laughs> are the sassy Latina and the black dude. <laughs> All the white uh, people, like, totally pretty fine. much totally fine. But so, for me, there's enough of that. Like, the tropes are hilarious. The douchiness of Val. And even, honestly, some of the sappiness between Eric Von Denton's character and his dad. Right. Well, because his dad is a horrible dad. A horrible, <laughs> horrible father. I mean, it's, He's it, like, why is again, my son so happy all the time? Again, <laughs> Kind of the, the capitalist versus the proletariat in this situation. I, I think that the whole film is actually subtly anti-capitalist. Maybe unbeknownst wow, to you, Disney. the Disney. Maybe, they, maybe subconsciously they hate themselves. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, and I'll say I, I was entertained. I was entertained for a lot of it. I mean, it's a no. It's a leaning towards the no. It wasn't no, absolutely. It was just a... No, not really. There are better, I think, better Disney Channel original movies to revisit, probably. <laughs> All right, ready to get back to uh, hair. combo and yeah. hair? All right. Mm -hmm. You know what I think, though? That, like, self-consciousness about, like, the level of effort put into hair... I think that's a very white person thing. Interesting. Because, like, when I think about my colleagues, my friends, like, and when they change their hairstyles up, like, it's very obvious that, like, a lot of effort has been put into that thing. Mm -hmm. But I don't think to myself, like, wow, that person spent a lot of it. I always, I'm always just like, oh, wow, like, I really like the way that that looks. Or, like, that's a really cool new style that you're, you're, you put on. Or, like, whatever. Um, and I think that's kind of interesting to me. I think very rarely, at least for myself... I ever think about black hairstyles in the tradition, like, you know, and like as being, as, as striving for that same like 
I didn't even have to, I just woke up like this. Mm -hmm. You're right. That's very true. Um, even if they don't choose to, to do a lot, I mean, even if it's just sort of, they let it grow out and it's, my experience is that it's, a, it's very like well trimmed, it's very clean, it's like very even. I'm sort of curious about that now. I mean, like there's, mm -hmm. there's only so much that we can say about that because we're two white people. Right. We so like, like we I don't, don't have know, no experience. but I'm, I am very curious about that. We tend to like want things to look as if nothing has had to be done. Um, whereas in, it seems to me in black culture from what I very, very little I understand and know that it's actually the more effort that you've put in to hair. And I think it extends to other parts of style, the more that that is revered. Well, and it's interesting because, so I think to say that, well, white people wanna, we don't want people to see how much effort they put into their look, I think is is maybe just like a, maybe a bit too narrow of a Yeah, I mean, I would agree that's like a huge generalization. Yeah, but I do think, but I think in some, particularly, I would say, particularly in the circles that we run in maybe, that there is a certain way in which tr like there is like trying too hard is a thing that gets looked down, is looked down upon. I, I don't know. I'm. I, it's. I feel leaving this conversation. I'm being. I. I feel like I'm being very reflective about like this whole like why is trying uncool and like why is I don't know. Right. That's making me really reflect on my like my own style and my own uh -huh. subculture that I do come from, that is wrapped up in that. So yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting for me because I, in a sense, I came into this topic wanting to believe that in a lot of cases it comes down to personal preference and not a sense of how we want to be perceived. But in talking about this, I feel like it's become fairly obvious to me that it is, that perception, the perception that others have of us is a driving force in our choices about what we do with our hair. You've been listening to the Sibling Revelry Podcast. If you want to join our conversation, you can write into us at siblingrevelrypodcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at sibling underscore revelry, or follow us on Instagram at the same handle. This episode was produced and edited by Andrew Merriweather. Our music is by Flamingosis. You can find more of his work at flamingosis.com. Thanks for listening.